Howdy, y'all. I want to thank all of you who support this podcast via Patreon. If you're a regular listener to this podcast and appreciate what we do here, please go to patreon.com forward slash south of Scruffy and support the podcast there. Helps us keep the bills paid around here, and it's a way for me to more closely engage with the most avid listeners of the show. There's three membership levels on the SOS Patreon page. Go check them out. And thank you all so much. All right, podcast time. Welcome in, guys. South of Scruffy podcast. If you're new here, my name is Ben Fields. I host this podcast, and I'm glad that you're listening wherever you are. I've got Marianne Canada on the show today, and I have to say that this chat with Marianne may be the best representation of what I hope this podcast would be when I started it. I, I started this thing to dig in deep into the body of work of people whose work I admire, and there aren't a whole lot of people out there whose body of work I admire more than Marianne's. Um, and she's she's not done yet either. She's still making stuff every day. Uh, this episode did come with uh, its own challenges. Marianne and I had this thing on the books uh, in late March or early April, somewhere around then. But the uh, coronavirus happened, and uh, we had to cancel our first interview in order to be safe. But uh, last week, I caught up with Marianne and just said, when are we ever going to be able to do this thing? And Marianne said, well, if we do it at my house on the patio outside, distance, we can do it whenever. And so we did. Uh, we recorded at her house, on her patio, outdoors, distance. So... If you hear an airplane or a landscaping truck go by uh, during our chat, that's that's why we were outside. Uh, but it was it was a great chat, and I'm excited for you all to hear it. So let's do it. Here we go, Marianne Canada. We're doing the pop test. Ah, <laughs> move this a little closer. This setup is pretty. Pretty awesome. Yeah. I like it. This is the first time you've recorded outside? Yes, it is. This is the first time I've recorded outside, but this is a safe way to do it. I like it. Yeah. I did. This is actually only the second uh, the second remote recording I've done. The other one I did in Charleston. Nice. When I was on vacation. But everybody else has come to the shop. So you know, one of these days, maybe part two, in a safer era, you'll be able to come by the shop. I have no doubt we'll have plenty to talk about. Yeah. We can revisit, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, we had one on the books for, I don't know if it was, was it March or April? It was March. Was it? Because I, I actually, when you texted me today and I scrolled up, I saw. Our, our. You being like, I assume we're not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you literally booked it. I mean, it was like a week before everything shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Bad timing. It was. I had a bunch cancel. Five months later. You're the first one to reschedule. Well, that's good. Yeah. I do try to, um, you know, hold up to my uh, obligations. Yeah, well, thank you. And I wanted to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks. And I think what kind of kicked, I don't know, what kind of made us start thinking about it again is a couple weeks ago when I talked to Jenny Andrews, you, I mean, you were like 10 minutes of the podcast. We were talking about you, I felt like. Man, I know. I need That reminds me. I need to get my uh, check in the mail to her. Yeah. She said a lot of nice things. It was very nice. Yeah. Extremely kind. Yeah. Well, what's like what's going on these days? Uh, so you you guys are all working remotely, pretty much, I guess. 
Yeah, our offices are still closed um, in the U.S. Um, they've been, you know, Discovery is such a big company, mm -hmm. international, yep. and so they've been like cautiously reopening some offices internationally. But our offices are still closed. We're working remotely. Um, it's been great. Yeah. To be honest, mm -hmm. like I love it. Um, I think it's certainly harder for for other departments, but you know, I always joke like I work for the internet. So as long as I have a good internet connection, I can work anywhere. Um, so yeah, it's been good. The the hardest thing, or not even hard, but just the thing that we've had to adapt to is is uh, shooting our own content mm -hmm. in some cases. Yeah, no longer are our production big production safe places to be so you guys have had to take the camera into your own hands is that what's happened yeah we have um literally gone from i mean it was already handmade in particular the videos where I, i'm on camera mm -hmm. was it, it was already a very lean production mm. um but there's a difference between a very lean production of you know two cameramen a producer and an art assistant and a PA to me, an iPhone, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know a tripod. Um, it's in a lot of ways it's been very freeing. Right. Um, the response from the audience has actually been fantastic. That's good. Because um, that was my biggest concern is that we would get some pushback because it's definitely a different production value happening. <laughs> um, but it's also kind of refreshing because it it kind of breaks down like the perfection of a brand like HGTV. It makes it a right. little more relatable. Right. And I think people are in a space right now where they understand that people are having to do different things just to, just to keep, keep it going. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it's actually remarkable how quickly everyone adapted. Yeah. That we're fine with Jimmy Fallon interviewing people via zoom. Yeah, and right. We're just like, sure. Everybody gets it. Like you got, you got to do something. We're all. I mean, that's the one nice thing is that it's just been this great equalizer. Yeah. Like no amount of money is going to fix this. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't care mm -mm. which money you've got. Mm -mm. I mean, if Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson mm -hmm. can get COVID, then pretty sure anyone can. Anybody can. can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you work for the internet. I've I've seen that written. Yeah. somewhere before I think it's my bio yeah yeah it's it's true like it it, it kind of encompasses everything you do right yeah I mean I always that has literally been my bio for eight years um, since I moved into digital because I really do if I distill what I do I mean yes I'm an executive producer and yes I am on camera sometimes and you know I do all these things but at the end of the day I am at the the mercy of the internet right <laughs> of the trends of you know what our competitors are doing what yeah. our audience wants right. I mean it's such a it's I love it a lot of people really hate how immediate the feedback is mm. from the audience when it comes to digital uh, to digital video I love it I'm like, there it is right there, you know? Yeah. And, and nothing is too, you can't be too precious with anything no. because it, it's, it comes and it goes and that's okay. So even if you make a misstep, you know, make a mistake with a piece of content or something like that, it's not like it, you know, it's, it's not like it's going to be there and even 
popular in two weeks or a month or whatever. Right. Or sometimes two years later, they'll repost that same video and it will get three million views. You mean like maybe something won't, won't, it'll be a little bit before it's time? Yeah. It's just, you just, the, the, also the algorithm and the, you know, there's yeah, so many that. factors at mm -hmm. play to getting content in front of people's eyeballs um, that I did. I had to learn early on that I couldn't take it personally because hmm. I, I early, early, early on I did um, when it was really like the wild west of online video and right. digital video was not a thing. And I hmm. was shooting videos in a conference room at work and it felt so personal because I was doing so much of it, which now full circle, <laughs> it's just doing it again. me and my iPhone painting pumpkins in my kitchen, like, <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, I did have to learn to just, to not be, you're exactly right, not be so precious with it. I still always try to do the best job I can, but I'm also kind of like, eh. I would have a really hard time not reading the comments. Do you read the comments? I do. You I do? don't read all of them. Right. Because it's especially like. For HGTV Handmade, it's it's a more manageable number of comments. For HGTV, it, it's... Right. But I'll always check in and kind of, like, read Take the, the temperature. Yeah. 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 Get, you know, the top line, see how people are reacting. Um, sometimes they're hilarious. Yeah. I mean, the really mean ones are, like... The best. They're so creative. <laughs> so creative. I mean, my God, I've had someone tell me... That I looked like the homeless woman from Home Alone 2. Oh, with the pigeons? Mm -hmm. Yeah. With the pigeons, that's the one. <laughs> I honestly want to print that one and frame it. <laughs> I think you look like Sarah Silverman. Does anybody, has anybody I ever have, told you that? Have I you have heard, that, heard that. I don't mm -hmm. see a lot of homeless Home Alone 2 lady to your look. Well, I, was wearing, I was wearing a poncho and a hat, and ah. that was very triggering mm. for people. You know, yeah. it was fall. It, right. I was wearing layers. But yeah, I, I always check in on the comments I also like to sometimes you know I actually really disagree with people who say don't read the comments mm. in the case of what we're doing now if I was a celebrity and yeah. dealing with like that level of, exactly <laughs> yeah. nobody needs to read that right. like there's some really horrible things out there but often our commenters point out things that that we missed mm -hmm. you know um, we had a a uh, Christmas shoot last year. Um, I think you worked on it. It was here. Was it here at your yeah, house? Yeah, in here. Mm -hmm. And one of our commenters said, um, "I just would really love to see, you know, a, a more diverse representation of what the holidays are." Mm. And rather than a ignoring it, right, or b feeling defensive, I just was like, "You're completely right. Thank you." Yeah. Like I should have thought of that. Um, we. And I will will do better. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you get a real time focus group of your yeah. work, you know, yeah. a little bit. If I mean, if you distill them down to the to the meaningful feedback that you yeah. get, that's pretty cool. TV networks pay a lot of money for mm -hmm. that kind of feedback on on shows they, that we get every day for free. Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> so how? I mean, I kind of want to talk about where you came from and how you got to your digital. Your, your work in, in digital video and and I, I know a little bit of how that worked out but like you grew up here right in Knoxville uh, for the most part yeah um, my parents are both from here mm. and they moved a little while we were young but we ended up back in Knoxville like when I was in like fifth grade okay. so pretty much did, did all your your formative 
years yeah. here? Yeah, all my formative years. Do you have brothers and sisters? I have two sisters and a brother. I'm the oldest, of course. <laughs> but, Shocking. <laughs> birth order is real, by yeah, the way. It's very real. It's, it's a very real thing. Yes. Okay, and and so what were you what were you into growing up? You know, I was um, I was kind of all over the place when I was a kid. I probably the thing I was most passionate about was like art and drawing and mm. being creative. Um, I loved to draw. I loved to write. I loved to read. Mm. Like my parents, if they wanted to punish me growing up, it was never like. Is that the mail truck? I'm pausing to let that truck <laughs> go by for you. Um, but yeah, if my parents really wanted to punish me growing up, they would take my books away. Oh, that's... Like, that was like, <laughs> no. That's heavy duty right yeah. there. That's yeah. how you know you got a good kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just really, um, I really loved to escape into mm. a story, yeah. you know. Um, I was I was really tiny. I was like this very tiny with all this big hair and like braces I wore braces for like three years like I just kind of um I wasn't one of the popular kids I wasn't one of the unpopular kids mm -hmm. I was kind of friendly with everyone kind of disappeared into the fabric <laughs> yeah just kind of like muddled you know not yeah. muddled along because that that sounds negative but I I didn't have any like super positive or super negative things happen in my formative years um, you know, it just kind of was a late bloomer, let's say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So was sports a thing too, or were you more in the arts? No, I was definitely more in the arts. I yeah. was like very gangly, um, <laughs> uncoordinated. It just wasn't really something my parents encouraged either. I really think so much of like being into sports comes from having parents that want you to be into sports. Yeah. I, yeah re like living out there. Yeah. shortcomings yeah so the <laughs> as only, an athlete <laughs> exactly or just yeah it's their passion or just what they think you should be doing sure so I mean I was on the swim team and then in college randomly very randomly I was recruited onto the sailing team because mm. they needed girls um because of title nine yeah <laughs> um it was a club team but if they had enough girls, they could have a men's team. A, no, they could have a women's varsity team, but it would help fund the club team, which was um, what's the word for co-ed? Oh, gotcha. <laughs> wow, <laughs> sports. Um, <laughs> so I was recruited into sailing, which still kind of cracks me up. But I sailed in college for three years. I lettered. I'm a lady ball. <laughs> A VFL, an LVFL? Yeah, it's uh, it's still hilarious, but That's, here in you lettered in a varsity sport, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> a life in the arts. I went to yes, I went to the the uh, national the collegiate national sailing championship. That's amazing from UT. Like See, we sail I, on the lake. Yeah. <laughs> like I just want you to think about that for a yeah. second. Mm -hmm. Every other school sails on either the ocean or a great lake. Sure. And uh, yeah, we would sail out at Concord Marina. The sailing club out there. Mm -hmm. I I don't know why I could I could I could see you sailing like like living on a sailboat for three or four <laughs> months. You know. You know, these days it does not sound too bad. It, to it, be it doesn't. It sounds like a great great way to spend your time now. Yeah. So, so you said your parents weren't pushing you to, to do. Were your parents supportive of the arts and all, and all that while you were a kid, or what did they do? How did what they? 
Were they artists themselves? My mom was. Okay. Um, my mom is still very creative person and my dad was a minister growing up Mm. um and has his like doctorate not no he would correct me he did not get his doctorate in divinity he went (laughs) to princeton seminary though and is um part of the reason i credit him with like my love of public speaking and my comfort in public speaking because i had a dad who could just walk into a room and Mm -hmm. like talk to anyone an orator yes exactly so my mom was an artist um and and is still artistic she just kind of it manifests in different ways now and my dad now is a financial planner and still preaches oh that's cool yeah he helps out he helps out small churches that can't really afford like a full-time minister. Oh, that's great. And so he's able to serve that community, mm-hmm. keep his chops up. You yeah. know, he still finds it really gratifying. Yeah. And, and also probably exhibit a little creativity if they're not, you know, if it's not a full-time job, they probably give you a little carte blanche with what you want your message to be. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think, um, especially now, I mean, he still goes into the church every Sunday and like records a message but of course it's all done over the internet now the church is still closed so So when did so you ended up in front of the camera at at hgtv and and with handmade your franchise there but there was like a there was a path to that right there was some theater and (laughs) there was i was wondering i was like oh i bet ben and i are gonna get into some like theater kid uh, yeah theater kid business yeah so in high school Um, I I discovered that I really liked theater. Mm -hmm. I was never like, I want to be a star. I just liked it. You know, it was like this fills, this fills my bucket Mm -hmm. to steal the phrase from my kids. (laughs) Um, And so then when I went to UT, I, I honestly, it was like dating a guy. (laughs) All all stories start like that, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Dating a guy who really thought I, I should take an, a certain path. Um, he had a lot of opinions about what he thought I should do. And when that relationship ended, I was like, I had this freedom and I started taking theater classes again. Awesome. Um, and I also took broadcast journalism classes because mm. my dad was like, that's great and all, but yeah, we need to have a, uh, yeah, a viable career path. Yeah. Like yeah. you can do both. Sure. But let's let's not only do theater. Right. Um, so I started taking some theater classes at UT. I loved it, but I was a minor. Um, I was a theater minor. I never was like fully invested in the theater program like right. the theater yeah. kids were. Yeah. Um, but again, like I just liked it. And so I did I did some shows here and there and then the big like culminating moment for me in college theater was this graduate production of Hamlet Mm. that was a co-production with the Knoxville Symphony Orchestra oh fun so like the orchestra was going to be on stage Mm -hmm. on stage with the actors and um and it was not open to undergraduates to audition Oh, were you in grad school at this point? No, no, no. Oh, I wasn't. Okay. I was an undergrad. A theater minor. Uh huh. Mm. And I went to the audition anyway, um, because I don't know really what got into me. I just was like, I think I'm just. Yeah, I mean, they can tell go. me no. Yeah. And they of course didn't. They let me audition, and then they cast you. Put me in the show. I I was a you know I was in the company, so I had to play like a bunch of different small roles, and 
Is that plane going to bother you? No. <laughs> okay. It, this is going to be the problem the is I'm going to like try to produce your podcast but for you. That's and I need fine. to uh, dial it back. No, we're on the porch. <laughs> we're outside. We're close to the airport. It's yeah, all good. We're in nature. Yeah. Um, so I was in that production in that. Was it at the lab or Clarence no, Brown it, Lab or at the big theater? No, it was, was it? at the um, the Civic Auditorium. Oh, because the, because symphony, the symphony was involved. It was a big show. Mm-hmm. And because it was a big show, um, Knoxville, it was with a guest director. And the assistant director on that show was also the assistant to a director in Poland who was casting for an international theater festival Hmm. um, that was going to be happening that following summer in Slovakia. And so because I went and auditioned for a show I wasn't allowed to audition for. You got cast. And it got cast. (laughs) I then got to audition for this woman who I never would have been able to meet otherwise Mm -hmm. and got this opportunity, this contract basically to go help put up this theater festival in Bratislava, Slovakia. And it was an international um, theater festival for college actors. Gotcha. Called, yeah, called the um, the Istropolitana Festival. So Is we, it like a summer stock type deal? Kind of, yeah. I mean, we were putting up, obviously, Bratislava was hosting the festival. Mm-hmm. So they were putting up like the headline act so to speak and then when the festival actually went up all these other colleges came from all over the world Mm. and put up their own shows so there were little theaters kind of set up all over the city for the for the whole summer Mm -hmm. well for when for the two or three week period of the of the festival gotcha yeah but we were there for months right rehearsing like mounting the show and because they were the headline it was a really unique show because it was cast half with Slovak students and half with American students. Oh, wow. What, what, what play was it? Um, it was a light little ditty. It was actually two, called the Oresteia, which mm-hmm. is a Greek tragedy, and then The Flies, which is a uh, Sartre play that has its origin in the Oresteia. Interesting. Very light. Yeah. It, <laughs> I don't know if you've read any Sartre. I haven't. But it's pretty twisted. Is it? Yeah, it's... Yeah. Um, and then, you know, a Greek tragedy also is just very dark. <laughs> sure. Very dark. Everyone so dies. That was a heavy duty uh, summer for you there. Or, yes, or trip over yeah. There. And, you know, the Americans, well, none of us speak Slovak. Is that what language they were performed in? Well, so the Slovak students were doing their lines in Slovak. And the Americans were doing their lines in English. That sounds confusing. And the whole, and our director was Polish. Mm. And didn't speak either language very nice. well. Um, and the whole idea, it was a really amazing concept because the whole idea was to like bridge these two countries gotcha. for this international theater yeah. festival, you know. But the reality is me having to listen for when my it's time for my line, but I'm taking my cues in another language a lot of the time. How, so did... <laughs> Did you ever have a moment where you're where there was like this this like understanding of like language is language, but there's just some universal things that you can pick up from from 
social cues from, you know what I'm trying, trying to say there? For sure. And, and I will say that people I was working with, like we all made the best of it. Yeah. You know, we, everyone, everyone really wanted it to be good and to succeed. When I think back, it it literally feels like a fever dream though. Um, (laughs) This director who's, he's since passed away, but he was actually a very famous opera director. Mm in Poland very well respected um looking back it's incredible like we got to work with him but at the time I was 22 and right you know could not understand him I mean not even like language wise I just mean like we could have spoken the same language and I still wouldn't, still have, wouldn't have gotten him. gotten his vibe yeah um but he just had this vision that was so clear to him but very hard for him to to express to others. And I mean, our costumes were all made of plastic. (laughs) Um, The set was pallets, you know, like, um, like you would get shipping shipping pallets. Yes. With, with like three inches of water, the pallets formed kind of a, a base for everything to be water. So we're all walking around in water the whole time. Oh, but you're walking on the pallets, but the water comes up the just pa- above it. The pallets are just around us. Okay, gotcha. We're we're in the water, wearing plastic. You know, doing these this very obscure <laughs> Greek tragedy <laughs> and French existentialist play yeah. in languages that we don't understand, and it's just like when I say it, I'm like, it doesn't. That doesn't even sound real. That doesn't sound possible. I mean, it sounds like the highest art ever, like like just the most art for art's sake thing. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, I I always joke when people are like, well, why did you stop acting? I'm like, oh, well, I went and became a professional actress in Eastern Europe and that cured me. Yeah, exactly. Of ever wanting to do theater again, because I was like, you know, bravo to the people doing this who are still like, yes, this is my life work. But I was like. This is not for me. It's, it's, I think, you know, theater especially, it's just a tough way to make a living. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the opportunity is, is, I guess, there a little bit, but it's also like, it's a grind. You're working at night and the high that you get from running a show too, like from doing a, from doing a, a run of a show is amazing. And while you're in it, you're in it. Yes. But it can be a, it can be a lonely, sad lifestyle too a little bit if you don't take care of yourself yeah and you know what the people can be rough Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) um i have met so many actors in my lifetime who are like truly the most wonderful fun engaging people i've ever been around yourself included um but there are some theater people who just ruin it yeah i know what you mean you know i'm like i don't want to work with these People. I don't want to go to the auditions and everyone's singing all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so much singing. Yeah. And like, look at me. Yeah. Like just a lot of narcissism and like, truly, you know? Yeah. It just, um, it was, it was this amazing learning experience. Yeah. And the biggest thing I learned from it is that I like this, but I don't have the passion for it that is going to make me succeed in it. Right. Because it's not enough to be good. You have to want it. Mm-hmm. That's what I found out too. And I thought I was good. I thought I was okay anyway. But there's a lot more to it than just chops, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, finding the work is <laughs> yes is difficult too. Yeah. Hamlet was also the play that got me, like. Uh, I mean, is there anything better than better? I, I don't think when so. it's done really well. Yeah. Oh man, I just yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, it you know it, it makes it worth it to to learn all those words that don't exist anymore. Yeah, and not just to learn them, but like to Understand. really try to understand them. Yeah. yeah. That's the fun part about Shakespeare for sure is mm-hmm. is turning it into turn understanding it. Yeah. And it's it's more powerful for some reason, it, the fact that it's in. You know, it's like those German words that we don't have a word for. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like that's Shakespeare. Yeah, you got to work like, for it yeah. a little bit. You earn it. You yeah. earn understanding the story. What would you do after you got back from uh, from Slovakia? Is that still a place? Oh, yeah. It is? Yeah, it used to I didn't know if be... it was USSR. Like No, it East... used to be Czechoslovakia. Yeah, they split. And then it split. And so now it's the Czech, Czech Republic, Republic and Slovakia. Yeah. That's yeah what... It's still there. Yeah. Um, I think it's... I couldn't. Re- I, I didn't remember if it was like one of those like countries it got that went absorbed or, or changed yeah, names, changed it, yeah, or, yeah. annexed or whatever. No, it's right there. Um, I mean, while I was there, like I said, I was quickly starting to realize um, that I maybe didn't have this passion to be in the theater, but I still liked acting. Yeah, and honestly. I had no interest in becoming a newscaster, mm. which was... Which is your major? My major yeah. was broadcast journalism. Um, and, you know, at the time, those were the only avenues presented to me. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of just got a wild hair. I was like, I'm 22. I don't have a boyfriend. I don't have anything tying me down. I'm going to sell my car and move to New York. It's great. Because that is the time to do it. Exactly. And that's, I actually have this conversation because I, I know people now who are kind of like, I won't call it a midlife crisis, but you know, like who, who didn't do that stuff when they were young. Yep. When you don't have any, the only person you can hurt is yourself. I've heard a lot of people that are in that era say that you regret the things you didn't do, not the yes. things that you did. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I sold my car. I mean, I think about my parents now that I have kids and I'm how terrified they oh must have been. Oh my God. I mean, I didn't, my dad made me get a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Like he was like, I'll pay for it. We have to be able to call you. You know, you can't just. Right. Yeah. Go, go to a, you know, the biggest city. Yeah. And you know, this is really showing my age, but like I, answered an ad in the village voice nice. to find my first apartment, which somehow turned out to be incredible. Your like, first apartment? Mm-hmm. Was it in the village? It was in Park Slope. Where's that? Is that in Brooklyn? Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's this very bougie neighborhood yeah. in Brooklyn. And it was on the park. Prospect Park is like a mini central park. Like it's mm-hmm. this beautiful park. And it was owned by a woman who was a costume designer on Broadway. Awesome. But also did movies, so she was gone a lot. And it was a tiny room, but it was like $400 a month. Wow. On the park. I almost never had to deal with, like, roommates or anything. Um, and so I was really lucky to, like, land on my feet there. At 22, 23 yeah. years old? Yeah. Solo, by yourself? Yeah. No friends there? Mm-mm. No. Yeah. No. I didn't know anyone up there. I still, I'm just like, I did that. Like, I look at my 11-year-old, and I'm like, I know. 
please don't be like me, but also please do. But please be like me. Just to go do it. I did the same thing when I was 19. I quit going to school at UT and I moved to LA by myself without knowing anybody with a suitcase. Yeah. And my mom's, my mom tells me now, she said, the, the morning we, we dropped you off at the airport uh, to go to LA, she said, your dad went out on the porch to sit by himself and I sat inside and I'm pretty sure we were both crying. Oh my God, <laughs> it doesn't it just break your heart. Yes, it does. And I can understand that now being a parent. Yeah. I couldn't imagine letting a, you know, what you think you know it all at 20, no, you know, but I know. I mean, I think about my parents, they were supportive because I think they also knew their choices were support me or not support me, but I'm still going to do it. Mm -hmm. Like they just, they knew me well enough to know that, um, that was their best bet. So even like when I went to Slovakia, my mom, we went to Paris for like the two weeks before I had to then get on a train and go to Slovakia. And she, she <laughs> took me to the train station and then the cab was going to take her to the airport. And she just said, she just watched me. Yeah. And I, no phone. Right. This was, this was the time of like internet cafes. Yep. You know, my dad recently gave me a printed stack of the emails that I sent them while really? I was there, which I was like, thank that's, you for saving so, this. No doubt. Because that email address is long gone. Sure. Um, but that was it. And then I come home, I sell my car, I tell them I'm moving to New York, I tell them I found an apartment. <laughs> and my mom drove me up. Um, we drove up in a U-Haul, like with like a futon and yeah. a dresser. And um, I put her in a cab to go to the airport after a couple of days in New York. You and, watched her drive off. <laughs> yeah, and she just said she was just like, like, what have we done? Yeah. How, well, how long did it take you to, I mean, it sounds like you landed on your feet there pretty much, but how long did it take you to get, find what you were looking for? Well, I, I never, I didn't go to New York with some big ambition. Hmm. Um, you just said, why the I, hell not? I'm, I just, I'm 22. Yeah. Might as well. I just was like, I feel like, the time. like I had some waitressing experience, so I got a waitressing job and I, I did just happen to fall. I got very lucky and the first place I worked in New York it was just one of those perfect times when a group of people is all working together and they just, everybody becomes best friends. Yeah. Like it's the kind of thing that only happens in your twenties. Yeah. And we all just clicked and became best friends and gotten a lot of trouble. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I mean, just yeah. nothing. There is no trouble like 22 year old waitressing and bartending staff in New York. Trouble. Oh, I'm sure. Was it in, was it in Brooklyn or was it in Manhattan? That was in Manhattan. It was. So um, you were living in Brooklyn, taking the train into Manhattan yep, every day to work. Taking the F train in, the stop uh, came out, and the restaurant was literally right there. Oh, nice! Like it was we would just walk. That's handy. In, very handy, and met like my best friends while I lived in New York there, and then of course, I wanted to live in the city. I wanted to live with one of my friends. Yeah, I still am like. That was stupid to leave you that You should have apartment. stayed in Park Slope. It was so nice and it was so cheap. But I also knew I had an expiration date in New York. Mm. I was never going to stay there and try to make a life there and try to be a grown up there. Right. So, you know, if you're going to do it, you might as well pay $1,000 a month to live in the East Village with your best friend yeah. in a fourth floor walk up because <laughs> you're never going to do that again. Right. That's good that you had the... You understood the the 
how how you had this moment. Now's the time. Yeah. Let's do it. Because I think it's fear that keeps people from from doing things like that. It sounds like you knew that your time was then to yeah. do it. Yeah, and I now, never. And now you're, you know, later, very appreciative of that time, it sounds like. Um, it was the most fun. The most fun. It feels <laughs> fake. It feels <laughs> made up. Yeah. Like, I think back at things that happened during that time, and it's like watching a movie. Really? Yeah, it was just the best. And then when I was ready to go, it was the worst. Like, really? Well, September 11th really changed a lot. Were you there? Yes. During September 11th in yeah. Manhattan? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Below the demilitarized zone. What? What's? Like, where was that? Below 14th Street. Below 14th? Yeah. You had, there were tanks. Like, mm-hmm. you had to have proof of residency to go below 14th Street. Oh, wow. Um, for a good couple of months after and I lived on 7th. Yeah, so you lived in, yeah, you were in the East Village at mm-hmm, the time. Mm-hmm. And that, and then it was just like, I mean, it sounds so like no shit, but it was really not fun anymore. Yeah. You know? I've heard was, some accounts of, of that. I knew somebody who was in school at NYU when it happened, and it was like, I didn't go in my dorm. I couldn't go back and get my stuff from my dorm. I lived in a hotel for four months. Yeah. It it's, was, Yeah. it was, I mean... It had it was to be terrible. Insane. Yeah. And then it was just like, oh, all the things, all the experiences, all like the magic of New York was just gone. Mm-hmm. For me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I lasted another, I left New York the following April. Okay. So you made it for, so, well, six more months or yeah. so, seven more months. Yeah. But you know, it was just. It was just terrible. Yeah. Like, and I worked in the bar and restaurant industry, which got hit really hard because sure. nobody was going out. It's very, feels very similar to uh, right current now. circumstances. Um, and my group of friends, we all kind of like, you know, splintered. Like yeah. everybody just, it, it just, yeah, it's not, it's not fun anymore when thousands of people die blocks away from your apartment sure. and the air smells like burning tires. Right. I will never, I don't know what I saw a joke once joke, not really very funny, but it, yeah, exactly. Air quote joke. But someone said, I don't know what those buildings were made of, but it was like raccoons and tires. Cause that is what it smelled like Yeah. for weeks. The city just smelled terrible. And uh, yeah, I just, that was kind of the beginning of the end. Do you still have a pretty positive uh, outlook on New York in general, though? I love New York. Mm -hmm. I consider myself so fortunate that until now I've been able to go back a lot, both for fun and for work. Mm -hmm. I still have great friends up there. Um, I would never live there again. Yeah. I mean, I used to joke that I would only move to New York if I was independently wealthy. And now I'm even like, no, no, thanks. I just would like to visit New York a lot. I applied for a job in New York a little while ago and Sarah and I had to make a very, we had to have a really, really long talk before I even did that because it's like, we have to, could we do it? It's like, it's one of those now's the time kind of things. Like we could do it now. I'm not sure about later. Yeah. Um, Very tough place to live. Love to visit. For sure. Yeah, it's just honestly visiting now. 
I actually get to experience all the things that I moved to New York to experience, mm-hmm. but couldn't because I didn't have money. Yeah. You know, like now you can go see Hamilton. <laughs> exactly. I literally was about to say like, like Hamilton. I mean, yeah, but you move up there and you think I'm going to go see shows and I'm going to go to museums. I'm going to eat mm-hmm. great food. And don't get me wrong. I got to do a little of that. And, and I, I don't feel like I missed out on anything, but you know, an equal amount of your days is like, I bought this shirt that has a wrinkle in it and I don't have an iron. So I need to buy an iron and you find the store. This is before there was a target in union square and you find the store that sells an iron and then you need an ironing board, but they don't sell ironing boards at the iron store. Everything's hard. So you've got to go across town to find an ironing board and you're just like sweating. And then you iron the shirt and you wear it once and then it needs to be dry cleaned. And you're just like, what am I doing? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Everything is so hard. Everything's hard. It's like, I'll, I'll I'll be leaving New York in in the morning to go catch a flight or something. It's like, you know, my flight's not till 1030, but it's seven o'clock and I better go ahead and get on it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, compared to now where I live seven minutes from the airport. Yeah. You know, it's just. Yeah. Yeah. I hear him. I hear him now. <laughs> I know. It's funny. It's like today is the day that we we don't usually get a ton. Do you get a lot of we don't get a lot of like Mm-mm. air traffic? No. I feel like we should tell the audience that you and I live very close. We do. Proximity. We would have lived closer. I it's tried true. to be your neighbor, but I. And I, then I, I immediately came. moved. <laughs> There goes the neighborhood. It's like, oh, hell no. <laughs> no this isn't going to work. Uh, so so you're, you're in oh, – one of the things that I wanted to say about New York is, is you said that everything, you know, all the fun kind of got sucked out of it, obviously, with 9-11. But I know, and I never went to New York before 9-11. But I, I, I feel like – I feel like there is, like, a resilience that that, that town – has now and it's almost like they went through something they went through it together and and now there's there's like this feeling of achievement and and i feel like those whole uh kind of archetypes of like asshole new yorkers that you hear about i mean i i've never experienced that before in new york and it's like these people seem happy to be alive they seem happy that they've got their city yeah do you think that there's like a post 9 11 kind of vibe change i mean honestly i felt that before 9 really? 11, I think that New Yorkers are some of the most wonderful people on the planet. What they don't do that people in the South, for example, like that ruffles their feathers, is they don't like sugarcoat and BS you. Yeah. But you could stop on the street and ask someone for help and they will help you. Yeah. They will go out of their way to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they're not just going to be, like, solicitous. And, yeah. You know, my uh, my grandmother came. This was really crazy. But the October after September 11th, my mom and dad and grandmother came to visit me. Mm. Like, flew up there. Wow. Uh, stayed at the Waldorf. Made me move into the Waldorf with mm-hmm. them for the week. <laughs> which I was like, fine. Great. Um, have you seen the size of the shower? It's yeah. the size of my bedroom. <laughs> Um, but we went out to brunch at a restaurant I liked and my grandmother was like your classic Southern, like knew everybody had, Mm -hmm. had moved a lot from my grandfather's job. So she was always playing like six degrees of separation everywhere, always with everybody with that. So we sit down and our waiter comes up and my grandmother turns around and she goes, now, where are you from? And he literally goes, why? Like, 
<laughs> he was just like, what do you want from me? I just will never forget the look on his face. Yeah. Like, And I was like, that's a moment where someone could be like, Ugh, New Yorkers are so rude. But yeah. no, that guy is probably like, why is it any of your business where I'm from? Exactly. Like, who are, who are you? Like, I don't No, that know tells you. the whole story. Yes. of That tells the whole story right there. Of, right there. Of the South versus It's like New York that. City. That two-sentence interaction. Yeah. So you left New York at some point. Did you come back here? I did. I came back here. um, Just, it was kind of a tumultuous time in my life. And I just, you know, like I said, when I moved to New York, I knew I had an expiration date. Mm -hmm. And I hit it. Mm -hmm. And then time to reset back home? It's like I turned into a pumpkin and (laughs) needed to be back home. We've got a a similar trajectory (laughs) going. Yeah, I just I just knew that I needed that that wasn't where I needed to be. And it yeah. wasn't it wasn't a healthy place for me to be. So I moved back down here, um, moved in with mom and dad, which, you know, is very motivating yeah. to figure out your next step. Mm-hmm. Even though my parents are fantastic. I mean, I live next door to them. Like I clearly <laughs> uh, am close with my parents, literally. But I moved back down here and pretty quickly um, got a job with Red Bull Energy Drink. Nice. Just because you know marketing they, job yeah it was a marketing job events is that what you do with them it or? turned into that okay. yeah i started off on just their mobile energy team like literally handing out free red bull oh cool they i don't even remember they used to drive around the truck with the giant can of red yeah bull i remember the back. that was it a hummer or, or was it a different was it, it a was pickup truck? a i remember I seeing a big can in it the back wasn't of a, a hummer truck. i can't remember what it was yeah we had a couple and but, so you go to events like what like uh, where, like what kind of go events on you, cam- you would go on campus. You would just look for people, literally. People gathering? People in need of energy, Ben. No. It, they were called Pino. People in need of energy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Got it. Pino. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you just, our job was literally just to sample Red Bull and give it out. Um, but a month after starting that job, the manager of the team quit. Mm. And I applied and got the job. So suddenly I was like this regional marketing manager for Red Bull. (laughs) I was like, two years ago, I was on a stage in Slovakia wearing a trash bag as a costume. But (laughs) sure. (laughs) Why not? Now you're leading teams Um, in search of Pinot. Yeah. But there actually was like a core. The way I got the job was because I worked in the... um, because I was a bartender and mm. so much of Red Bull's industry was in like the on premise side of things. Gotcha. That was like the height of Red Bull and vodka. It was the height of Red Bull really. So that was when I started doing like more events. Like we worked on Flugtag. Yeah. Which is the big, airplane race. The big like, the... flying machine yeah. race. And um, we, yeah, put on like we sponsored some cyclocross events and whitewater kayaking trials and and things like that yeah red bull really built their brand i feel like in the early aughts with like adrenaline junkie kind of stuff they were always that that brand and they were also one of the first energy drinks yeah to get mainstream right they were and they were it was a really challenging company to work for for a lot of reasons but i also learned a lot like that company they were they were truly pioneering. Um, and 
you know, everything that they, the legacy they laid out, even though now there's like a million energy drinks and they, they've lost, I would say, their like mm -hmm. dominance of the market. Yeah, sure. But what they built was, you know, all these extreme sport athletes that they sponsor and the indie team and, you know, they became like this brand that's so much more than a drink. Right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if you still look at Red Bull athletes, they still have the best of the best oh, yeah. on their team. Top. Travis Pastrana is the guy's doing the craziest mm -hmm. stuff, you know. And that's, I mean, yeah, even though they have lost quite a bit of market share, like for them to still be kind of gold standard is, is cool. Yeah, it's And impressive. it's because they were pioneers, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. But I was not made to be an energy drink marketer. <laughs> I just didn't care about marketing. Really? Like at the end of the day, I could, you know, when they were like, what's your strategy to get into the blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, <laughs> guys, like, <laughs> this is not my, once again, I was in a position where I was able to see like the, that my path was not the same as the people I was around. Sure. Who went to school for marketing, who were passionate about it. You know, I just kind of fell into this job and then I just fell right out of it. <laughs> what, 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 I mean, what was it? I mean, you said a regional marketing director, was it? And yeah, it sounds like you kind of, you went from bartending yeah. to being a person who hands out the Red Bull. Right. To, to running the team. To running the team. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Like, I don't want to do this. Yeah, <laughs> this isn't like, what I want to do. This is great at all, but yeah. well, and also it, it shouldn't surprise you. The company itself is like pretty type A yeah. and um, driven and competitive mm -hmm. and, you know. That's um, like legal Adderall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we all worked out of our homes, um, which sounds great, except you're just always on call. Mm. And, you know, the company, the U.S., operations base was in California. So like that was challenging because right. the time, time change. change, that's always hard. And our events were usually on the weekends mm -hmm. and yeah, it was just like, Oh man, I do not have the passion required to enjoy this job. Right. So, so you, you, you got out as quickly as you got in. I mean, I worked there for like a couple of years Yeah. and I'm very thankful because it, you know, it looked great on a resume. I'm sure. Because it is it is hard to go from like bartending, like actress in Eastern Europe, bartender, bartender in, in New York. York, you know, what's, what are you doing down here? So. Yeah. You can live in that bartender world, wait, waiting world forever, as long as you, as you want. And it's the threshold that's hard to. To get, get out of. To get out of. And I, I'm so thankful that I had that opportunity. Yeah. Um, I still. Still, every once in a while, like if, if I'm having a tough week or, you know, whatever, I'm like, I can always go back to waiting table. Like, we, I know I could do it. I know I could make money. Like, I know I'm good at it. I would do it tomorrow. <laughs> I loved it. I, I can see that. You love talking it. to people. Yeah. I loved it. Mm -hmm. And I like hosting people yeah. and telling them what's the best thing. And yes. here's what I, you know. I liked being good at it. Yeah, like I, I was exactly. good at it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> being certain about it. And, and it you leave it there too. Good, it was such easy money and exactly it's done and you're just done. Yeah. You walk out at the end of the day and other than having like sore feet, that's probably actually what would keep me from doing it now is I would be crippled <laughs> after one shift. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah. no. I say I would like to do it. I hadn't had to deal with people in a while in that, in that capacity. <laughs> well, and especially now, I feel I really, I just, my heart is with anyone working in hospitality or tourism right. or entertainment. Yeah, performing, gig workers, all it's that. It's really tough. Who would have thought that that was, you know, so that that would be the thing that would. It's so, just, like, ephemeral. Like, yeah. it just 
Yeah. Poof. So what what was your next big what was your next big job after after Red Bull? Now you've got this you're starting to build a resume here. <laughs> right. So my next big thing was to be unemployed for a year. <laughs> nice. I would do that tomorrow too. <laughs> oh my god. In a second. Like just Yeah, so Chris and I got married and um, Did you guys get married while you were working at Red Bull? We got married right after I quit. I quit okay. right before we got married. Okay. Um like every lawn service in the <laughs> it's coming by. Tri-City area. Um, yeah, so we got married and, you know, we were young, didn't have kids. We did have a mortgage, but it was cheap. Like our first house was so cheap. And I was just kind of like, I got my vacation paid out when I left Red Bull. That was one great thing about the company is it was a European company. So they gave very generous um Time off benefits. Time off, but no one took it because they were all like crazy. So I got like six weeks vacation paid out. Oh, nice. Um, and we were pretty thrifty. And Chris, Chris had like a fairly stable income. And I was like, I just want a minute to figure out what I want to do. Yeah. And I joke that I was unemployed for a year, but I, I wasn't. I just, I just started trying some new things. It's like a bug pestering me. <laughs> Um, so I started doing some food writing. I started a oh, blog. Cool. This was like the early days of, you know, blogging, but I had a food blog. Um, and then that turned into some writing, some food writing. Right. I actually got some freelance work. That's nice. It was great. It was not like, I mean, I, it was like $75 an article, you know, it was not. Was it with um, like, uh, print publications or from no, web? Web. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and then... You know, I spent a lot of time really trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do, like some soul soul searching, I guess. And then I was like, I wish when I was in school, I had not focused so much on being in front of the camera, which was great because I learned to write and I Mm -hmm. learned how to speak on camera and all of that. But I was like, I wish I had learned more about the production side. Sure. Because that was something that interested me. And it was something, it was an industry I knew that was in Knoxville. With the Scripps Networks at the time? Yeah, with Scripps, with, you know, all the production companies. Yeah, the Jupiters of the world. Jupiter, River. Yeah. So, I, um, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think Chris introduced me to Todd Moss. Do you know Todd? Mm -mm. Oh, I'm so surprised. He's at Jupiter, um, Todd is the greatest. And basically I just asked, I was like, I will work for free. I just need something to put on my resume. Like I just need to be on set yeah, so that I can be put PA on my resume. Yeah. I'll do it for free. And he introduced me to Jeff Woods. Do you know Jeff? I do know Jeff. Yeah. Jeff Woods and his partner at the time, Michael Clarich. And they had a new production company called Field of Vision, and they were making a show for DIY Network called Barkitecture. And they already had a PA, like they already had employees, you know, but I just basically was like, seriously, I will just clean up. I will throw away trash. I just have to have something on my resume so I can try to get work. Mm -hmm. And so they let me. And then I did what I do, which is become indispensable until they felt guilty and started paying me. (laughs) <laughs> it's an it's an effective approach. It is. It works. If yeah. you just 
make yourself so valuable that they that they can't let you go and do it with a smile yep Always then they really smile. feel bad about not paying I know. you they're like well we should really pay her <laughs> she's so sweet <laughs> um and so those guys gave me a chance and i worked for them and because of that job experience i was able to qualify and get a job as a production coordinator at at scripts in scripts productions Really? Mm-hmm. So straight from a production company where you pretty much interned your way into getting paid. Yes. And then had some experience then in the industry. Yes. To and where you could start approaching the mothership over there with a, with, yeah. with a huge production department, right? Yeah. At the time it was, it was really robust and they were, they were doing a lot. So. So production coordinator at Scripps Productions, what do you do? I mean, what's that, what's that mean? Well, you know, at the time it was, it was a really uh, diverse job. It could be everything from like literally logging time codes, like Mm -hmm. watching, you know, the raw video and logging like what happened at different time codes, um, which was not my passion. Um, but you did it, didn't you? But I you? did it and yeah. I learned how to do it, which yep. was important. Um, everything from like some scripting, but then also just being on set, often operating as the PA. I always kind of joked that they didn't hire production assistants, they hired production coordinators, mm-hmm. which um, was just kind of like, we can have you do anything. <laughs> Yeah, makes yeah. you you know it feels makes you feel like, better. Yeah, it be a production like coordinator. Come up in the world a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And at the time, now I feel like a, a production coordinator. That job feels a little more like concrete. But at the time, it it felt literally like just doing the wild west. Yeah. So yeah, everything from like getting breakfast to cleaning up to. Was there a more entry-level position at Scripps Productions at that point, or did you pretty much... No. Okay. That was pretty much entry-level. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm so happy to hear this, Marianne, because <laughs> I, I mean, I miss that. I miss, like, what, what is, like, some of y'all never PA'd, and it <laughs> and shows. And it shows. <laughs> <laughs> some of y'all have never had to take garbage out of home from a set home to your home exactly. because there wasn't garbage kids yeah. there and it shows yeah exactly <laughs> some of you have never been screamed at over not getting enough sausage biscuits yes exactly i got strawberry yeah. cream cheese for my for my uh for for uh my executive producer one time he how, lost it how dare you he was like you're gonna get some some strawberry cream cheese for a bunch of new york jews he said he said when some of your redneck buddies from nashville come in you can get them the strawberry cream cheese but you get me a salt bagel salt bagel <laughs> yeah. right. you take the strawberry cream cheese and i'll show you what you can do exactly. with it exactly <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's really important. I genuinely, just like I think everyone should have to work in food service yes. at some point in their life. Everybody should PA. I think in production, everybody should should work their way up because then, I mean, you just you just know where you came from. Yeah. So how how long did your uh, your uh, upward mobile? I assume you've been there since then, right? Yeah, I've been yeah. there for over thirteen years. Wow, which is crazy. But that was the beginning. That was the beginning. And I assume you've kind of worked your way up. Yeah, I've had, I think, like seven different jobs there. That's it's, awesome. Yeah, I really hopped around. Even within Scripps Productions, I I worked on, like, um, location scouting, mm. uh, casting for a lot of, um, like, branded entertainment yeah. uh, gigs. 
and then made the leap into digital, which is like when I came home. That's the second threshold. First was getting out of the restaurant business into yes. production. Now it's getting out of... It's getting in, into the internet. Yeah. 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 Because I was I was an early adopter, an early internet adopter. I was really? an internet person from way back. Well, and so you were probably one of the younger ones there at the time too, right? Or Yeah. I mean, by the time I, I made the leap to digital, there were definitely people younger than me, you mm. know, um, working as editors and everything, but, um, that just, I quickly realized like as much as I seriously respect people who work on TV, like I am an internet person, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm like a cord never that dreaded word. Like we've had streaming services as long as they've existed. Yeah. I, you know, I used to go into like GeoCities chat rooms and, you know, I just yeah. like, it, it made sense to me that that side of things. And at the time, eight years ago, when I made the move into digital, you want to talk about the Wild West. I remember I, it. I mean, I had someone sit me down at Scripps Productions and be like, I can't believe you're walking away from from this job and going and doing something like she she genuinely said it was a fad. Oh, really? That the, that the internet that was a social fact? media, social media digital. That all, that, yeah, that it was just never going to amount to anything. There was, I remember around the time, eight years ago that you're talking about, there was a lot of, it felt like there was a lot of elitism and like the broadcast linear on air kind of stuff. And then you look at the digital stuff, like <laughs> who wants to do that? Yeah. That, you know, I mean, because really the, a lot of people felt probably the same way she did that like, this is, you know, no budgets, no, no budgets. Nobody knew how to monetize it. Right. No one knew how to make money right. on the internet. Yes. Other than guys who were coding and creating products. Sure. Like it's one thing if Building you have a websites. startup that yeah. sells for, you know, $20 million, but right. But on the content creation side of things, no one knew how mm -hmm. to monetize it. Yeah. Um, I had faith that it would come. Did you really believe in it? That did, did you, I really did. You did. I believed it was the next frontier. Um, now, I didn't move over to digital to do video straight away. Hmm. Uh, I actually was more on like the editorial side, and I was doing a lot of um, experiential design, educating people on design trends. Okay. That was part of what I was brought over to do. Um, so is that like HGTV.com? Or... Mm -hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. It was, there was an attempt to kind of provide the same education to employees excuse me, I have the hiccups. Um, <laughs> it, there was an attempt to provide the same education to employees that the Food Network Kitchen did. Oh, gotcha. So they, they wanted to offer some like design history and design trends and, you know, some displays in the office that people could take away. So that Ooh, crash you know, course and in, in some, some, yeah. uh, so you understand the product of the company you're working for. Kinda? Exactly. Cause yeah. it's hard, you know, unless you literally work in the department, I work in, there's not a lot of like hands-on, you know, dealing with, with the day-to-day -day of like the design world, but, but yet you're still out there trying to like sell this right. product, sell this brand. Yeah. So you were helping the employees understand the brand that they were yeah. working for a little bit better. Yes. Okay. And then one day, um, my boss at the time, Jillian St. Charles, who's our, um, our SVP of, of digital, like the home and travel side, she just was like, let's, 
make Marianne like a internet personality. Let's let's make some videos. Like with put Mary. you on camera. Yeah. And Nick Hollinsby, I know you know Nick. Yep. Um, he was new to the company and he had cameras. And <laughs> we set up in a conference room and I just started making like craft videos in that conference room. Were craft videos a, a thing? Oh yet? no. This no. was not a thing at all yet. Like maybe on YouTube there were probably, but not there were not these like hands in pan style craft videos. And so you and Nick Hollins we go to a conference room and start and I making s- craft videos with you as the talent. Yeah. And Nick Hollinsby as the cameraman and editor, I assume, too. And editor, yeah. And and grip. And yeah. Like, I mean, literally just the two of us. Um, and then we got some help from actually Liz Gray. Like, we got yeah. some help from she was an editor at the time. Um, and then it just kind of like grew a little and a little and a little. And, you know, we were doing it very inexpensively, which mm-hmm. was very compelling to a lot of people. Sure. Um, I, I believe the quote I heard once from someone who's no longer with the company is, what's the deal with this mom making videos for like $17? And I was like, oh, oh, that's me. I'm that mom. Yeah. (laughs) And thank you. And you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Sir, (laughs) my budget is $75. Well, so you were getting, you were getting noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was, um, people were very intrigued. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I had another kid. I came back from maternity leave and we were starting this YouTube channel called HGTV Handmade. And they're wow. like, and you're going to be on it. And In fact, like, you're going to be the main like flagship talent, right? Were well, you? I mean, at the t- I was one of the, the five core creators like, gotcha. that started the channel. Um, and, and then that was when I started realizing like, oh, I want to, I want to be in charge of every aspect of this. Mm. I don't want to just be, I was like, I found myself back where I was just in front of the camera again. Yeah. Right. Um, did that feel hollow or empty to you? Like the, the, I mean, because yeah. that's where you kind of started. Right. And yeah. then once it was realized I was like, here I am again, Yeah. it didn't feel hollow, but I just wanted to do more. Gotcha. I knew that just there wasn't, wasn't growth there. Mm. Um, I think it's really important for people who do work in front of the camera. I think it's really important to always have an avenue or an option that is not tied into what you look like. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to get old. I'm going to gain weight or lose weight. I'm going to have bad hair days. And, and I just don't want my body of work to literally be my body. (laughs) I don't want that kind of stress pressure, you know? Yeah, so that was when I started um, producing more videos, and mm. that's when social videos started to become a thing. And then, I mean, like, Explosion. I can't even say the rest is history because we're still in it. Still, yeah, yeah. So this was this was seven or eight years ago. You mm-hmm. said that you started mm-hmm. making the videos for the internet. Yeah. HGTV Handmade was the first the first kind of franchise. Yep. And then it kind of spider webbed out from there it did it did the advent of like social video you yeah. know the um to use an overused phrase the pivot to video in digital um i was there for like when that happened mm-hmm. like i watched it happen and it was exciting because also i knew i knew if i stuck it out that that internet thing would uh 
would provide. Yeah, it. Uh, I've said it before, but you know the eyeballs. That's where they're at now. That's where they they're are. on a four-inch phone screen instead of a yeah. you know sixty-five inch television. Well, screen and you now. see that now too, right? With these media companies that maybe um, poo-pooed digital, you know, not yeah. so long ago, mm-hmm. are now all making that swing to how do we capture this audience that right. that is not going with us on this path. Sure. So as you helped HGTV build and bolster their digital presence, did you go into other brands too that were properties at Scripps, like uh, DIY, travel, food, and all that? I did. I did. So they took notice, those other... Yeah, well, and at the time we were... um, You know, we all work under Vicki Neal, who oversees like all of the, the... brands at the time that Scripps had Mm -hmm. all the digital properties. Um, And so it was less like siloed. Uh, You know, you you had the opportunity to work on the different brands. So you were a digital group that Mm -hmm. your client was whatever network came to you. Yeah, in a sense. So I've created content for the Travel Channel. Um, I've done quite a bit for the Travel Channel. And then I've done a few things for a food network as well. Yeah. They're based in New York, so there's not as many opportunities right. for a crossover there. But but we worked on a couple of Food Network Kitchen series together down here in Knoxville. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's another really fun thing about where we work is um, we do get this really diverse content. Yeah. Um, I don't do as much of Travel Channel at the moment because they really um, – they made a hard pivot into like paranormal and adventure yeah. content. Interesting. Yeah. So um, there weren't wasn't as many opportunities for us to create digital digital content around mm-hmm. what they were doing. Um, and so now primarily I work on HGTV and HGTV Handmade. I mean, my team manages that brand completely. Right. So if we fast forward a little bit in 2000, was it 18 that Discovery acquired? Or was it 19? I think the, I think it was 2018. Was it? I mean, it, it, it took a while. I mean, it, it had to get cleared by the SEC and all kinds yeah. of stuff. Like, it was a big acquisition. Yeah, the announcement happened, and but the actual purchase didn't happen for like six months. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you think that, that there was a concerted effort from Discovery, a big brand whose digital presence is good, but they noticed that you that that the scripts networks were excelling at that. Do you think there was anything anything there? I mean, I know you don't want to pat yourself on the back and say <laughs> that you were the reason that this no, got acquired. But but I mean, was that something that was attractive when that acquisition was made? You think? I think so. That you guys were that HGTV and the scripts properties were killing it on in the social space. I think that was definitely very attractive mm-hmm. to the company, and and I mean they've said as much that it was the the digital team at scripts. That was a very attractive thing. I think because unlike a lot of departments where there was duplication, mm-hmm. you know, like, well, you don't need two finance departments or, right. you, don't, you know, um, they didn't have the same kind of setup we did in digital. So gotcha. I think they were you interested more... in the talent there. Mm. Mm-hmm. They were probably more traditional linear broadcast television, the way those were set up. And you've got a job and you've got this job and you've got that job, whereas... In your world, your teams, everybody kind of did everything and lean and mean. Yeah, we are certainly lean and mean. Um, We're really scrappy. We create an insane amount of content. Right. Just 
for the manpower we have. Sure. Um, and, and it's because a lot of people wear a lot of different hats too, yeah. right? And we're not afraid to do that. And we're right. not, you know, There's no ego. Nobody's too big for their britches. Like, yeah. you know, I'll get out there. We were on a shoot last week and the rain was threatening and we were all sitting there breaking stuff down and yeah. moving it and getting it undercover. S- scrambling. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I know we're going through very much a tra- probably another transition in our, you know, industry and all that, but I think it's 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 going to be even more important than ever to wear a lot of different hats and to not say that and to not say that's not my job and the Swiss Army knife kind of model, you can do a lot of different things. Yeah. You're going to yeah. prevail. I mean, I I think yeah, you can't say it any better than that. Swiss Army knife, that's perfect. Um, every day, if not every day, then every week, something new pops up where I'm like, oh, I guess I'm doing this now. Okay. Uh, and it's, a sometimes it feels like trial by fire. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I'm, you know, I'm trying to like grasp these threads and learn a new language and figure out my place in it. But it's certainly never boring, (laughs) you know? It may be really frustrating, but at the end of the day, I can't, I had an opportunity recently to do some like real soul searching about like, like what would I do if I could do something else that would pay me a comparable amount? Because if I didn't have money to worry about, I would just like garden all day, mm-hmm. you know, but, it, but what would I do? And I literally, it, it, it made me a little sad at first. I, was, I couldn't think of anything else. Like I was I- like. I guess I'm doing it. Yeah, that's great, though. Yeah, it's comforting. Yeah. Yeah, but also, like, it, it seems like your entire life has been f- aspirational. Like, then there's always more. There's always yeah. more to do. And now to see that, like, there's oh. nothing else you would ask for. That's pretty well, amazing. Well, I, I, I wouldn't say that. I still think there's always more to do. There's always, like, a new frontier. I think we're facing one right now mm. with... Um, the advent of, you know, streaming services and the continued blurring of the lines between linear and digital. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely not say that, but I can't think of anything I, I enjoy more than, you know, making content I can be proud of being creative, working with great people, you know, living in a place I love, living in a place I love. Oh, here comes my kids home from school. Um, yeah, so that's that is comforting, it, but it also is um, it's disarming for someone who spent so many years like bouncing around and looking for the right thing. It's it's interesting to feel like you actually found it. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> well, I'm happy for you, and I love working with you, and I appreciate you continuing to have me back to work with you. Oh, I love it's working with you too, Ben. I always feel like you and I have a really similar mindset mm-hmm. and like shorthand with each other yeah. I feel like you understand me and I understand you I think you're right yeah yeah did we miss anything there's a lot more there oh, I know I know we didn't get into your modeling <laughs> oh we got to recreate my headshots I <laughs> forgot did, about that. yeah we still got to recreate your headshots <laughs> um no this was really great I'm so great. I'm proud of you and what you've done this is Thank a you. really cool thing you're building it's been super fun and I'm glad that you agreed to do it because you've been someone that I've really wanted to 
have this kind of conversation with for a long time. So wow. I appreciate it. Thank you for asking me, and thanks for your patience. Uh, no. And it. for coming and sitting on my porch so that it. we could be physically distant. It's great. Such I'm a happy to time. do it, and I hope we can do it again. Oh, it's a date. Thank you. You're welcome. I just love her. That was fantastic. I appreciate all of you guys listening. Don't forget to support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash South of Scruffy. Check out all the wares there. Go to southofscruffy.com and find everything else there. That's merch. It's all the previous episodes, all that. Love you guys. Thank you for being here. Go check out some previous episodes too if this is your first time listening. You guys all take care out there. Matt Honkinen, play me out.